to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Another episode, Mateo. Good morning. How are you? Fantastic, brother. How are you? Couldn't be Happy better. What is it? Labor Day. I know. I know. Another long weekend and another weekend of me working on my kitchen. But um, we're I'm almost through. Backsplash, tile backsplash went up, so I feel I feel pretty good. Oh, you're such a handy man. I know. Some pride. Um, yeah, so Labor Day, it's a short week here for us. Um, so this is, you know, our Monday for, for those here in the U.S. Um, but, you know, we're excited to this week's guest isn't here um, in the U.S. But uh, so didn't just celebrate Labor Day. Maybe you did. I don't know. I'll let you. <laughs> if I, okay, my, my first question is going to be like, do they wear white after Labor Day? You know, yeah, do I don't know. What do they have? Do you wear white? Anyway. Uh, I'm super excited about our guest this week. And we're going to let the cat out of the bag. I mean, the people who are on video, your YouTube subscribers can see who it is. But we have the one and only Simon Lehman on this week. How did this happen? I've got Simon on it. This is amazing. I'm hey, Simon, how are you? Hey, boys. I'm good. I'm very good. It's my second day of the week, by the way. So uh, no Labor Day for oh, me yesterday. Oh, 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 oh. We were just talking about your four weeks of vacation in Spain. Uh, so not feeling bad about the extra day. Of it was a work and off, vacation. So. Got you. Sure. Got you. Got you. Got you. Work. So to all those out there listening who don't know who Simon is, all three of you out there, uh, <laughs> We are, are blessed to have the CEO and co-founder of AJL uh, uh, and industry icon. Um, I, I don't want to go into the adjectives, Simon, because there's so <laughs> many ways to describe you in a positive way, uh, you know, in terms of what you do. But, you know, that's why I'm, I'm really, there are probably only three people out there who don't know who you are. You, you've been the face of the industry for so long. You've been a thought leader in this space for so long. Uh, I'm not going to read your resume because I want to get into, you know, kind of your background. And, and you know, you and I have, have been very cool for a while and have similarities in our background outside of the hospitality space. And, you know, you're always someone I've, you know, looked up to, learned to, had great conversations with. Um, you always give it to us straight. You always give it to me straight. Uh, and, you know, that's why it's such a blessing to have you on the No BS Short Term on the Podcast because while we bullshit sometimes, you're really good about keeping the bullshit to a minimum when we're really talking business uh, and getting straight to the point. One of the things I really love about you. Um, and, you know, I think it it's, goes without saying part of the reason our industry is seeing such a resurgence in professionalism and success is through a lot of what you've been able to kind of help drive through the industry. And so, you know, we'll, we'll get into a little more of that down the line, but Without further ado, Simon Lehman, welcome to the No Bullshit Short Term Rental Podcast. Great to have you, man. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mateo. Thank you for the amazing introduction. I'm flattered. Uh, it was it's pretty bad that I wore a red shirt today because I can see my red head even better. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. So uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, you know, it's I think one thing that that connects us all is passion, and I think that's what it's all about. And, um, and, you know, when you ask me, hey, you want to come on board? I say, yeah, of course. 
uh, you know, we, we, we like to BS talk every now and then as well. It's part and parcel of our industry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned professionalism is, is super important um, and we have a long way to go still. So uh, we see ourselves as advocates to to push that. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's been a challenging time for the last 18 months. You know, I remember our last conversation very well. We were on a boat in uh, in Amsterdam, you and I. Yeah. On a cruise, actually. So, so that was. Uh, it's it's been a while, Matteo, yeah. but it's always good to to throw around some ideas and thoughts about our industry and and doing it together with passionate people like you and John is a, is is an absolute blessing. So, thanks for having. Me. Oh, it's our pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming on. So let's let's dig right in. So, I mean, how has this last year been for you? I I, I see you know you you doing. Tremendous things with AJL. You've got your hands in a lot of different projects. You know, talk to us a, a bit about you know, kind of you know, where you are, and and let's and then let's go backwards, man. Like you know, look at where you are sure. today versus kind of where you got into the industry, and you know, shit, your success through a pandemic is is nothing to shake a stick at. No, I mean, you know, it, it, it just depends on the way you look at it. I think I, I look at. The last past, uh, in terms of timing, probably March 2020, we were on a on a riverboat in London uh, celebrating the shorties, mm-hmm. and and 20, 12 months later, I was happy to want to win the shorty myself, um, which actually I'm very proud of to, um, to say that publicly. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could have said that publicly, but I, I, I did. As a non-winner, sorry, John. John's a little salty about that, but he's it's okay. Yeah. It's it's all right, but. So, I was sorry, just sorry, I was just glad to be uh, invited to the show and to be you know that was exciting. Oh, don't you know don't, what, John. I, I'll take it with me to <laughs> San Antonio, and you can hold it for a minute, or just a minute. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I, I want to see you. You know, bring that back and forth. I want to see that go through. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> okay. So no, it's been it's been an absolute roller coaster, Mateo, and. Yeah. <laughs> And I think you know either you got out with nothing or you got out stronger. And and I think, yeah. I think we got out a lot stronger while the timing was very hard. Um, you know, in in April we could have been the most successful uh, consulting firm in vacation rental, but nobody wanted to pay us for it. So right. that was a bit of a challenge because everybody needed consulting and help how to navigate through this crisis. Um, and I think twelve months forward or eighteen months forward, I think we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. We see some stability. The, the, the industry has been very flexible. We adapted to to different demand gen, uh, more domestic business, um, you know, and vacation rental went through the roof. So, yeah. you know, it's been, while it's been a pretty dull time for tourism in general, I, I couldn't be happier to be part of vacation rental because, you know, I got sort of asked in April, May by press, you know, what's happening to the vacation rental vertical. I say, guys, I'm the least worried about this travel vertical. It will rebound the fastest against every other vertical. And it has. I, I went through three or four crises myself in the past, 2008 financial crisis. To, right. You know, we saw 9-11. We saw quite a few crises. Obviously, ne- nothing of the magnitude that we have seen now. But mm-hmm. but uh, the vacation rental rebound the first because people still want to travel and post the lockdown. I think everybody was happy to jump in a car and just go somewhere else from where they were at, So especially in Europe. So I think for us, it's been a great opportunity to to sort of to sort of you know create more attention to the industry. We created a lot of free content. We created our own conference. Uh, we were really busy. We 
we're building hotel.school slash vacation rental to, yeah. to, you know, we said we want to do, we want to push the educational piece, something we're super proud to have built a hotel.school. Uh, we can talk about that later, but we, we, we you know, I, I'm, I'm, I believe that vacation rental needs education. And then the M&A came in and then, you know, think about the craziest IPO ever in the world happened in a pandemic. And they got, you know, I mean, this is absolutely surreal. Yeah. And then we see a turnkey acquisition and then the IPO for costs around the corner. Um, so all that is, is, is incredible. So it just shows how resilient and how interesting this industry is that we're in. So we have a lot of stuff to talk about. And it's interesting. We, we have sort of built ourselves a very strong network in the financial world where we have a lot of analysts, especially from the U.S., who call us. And we, we educate them about vacation rental because the financial industry knows very little about the vacation rental industry. And now they, they've seen some trigger points uh, that they want to understand. And then they call experts like us and we explain to them what vacation rental is all about. What are the unit economic drivers? Uh, what are the growth opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. And we help dissect in investment uh, presentations, right? <laughs> I what I like to see uh, about you know you've been you've been doing this a long time how how long exactly has a consulting aspect AJL been established as your your main your main focus I mean truly how many years now three so it's basically when it was February two thousand and eighteen when I uh, focused right as CEO that's when the first mandate was working for a private equity firm to acquire uh, Wyndham Vacation Rental Europe. Okay. Which then was acquired by Platinum Equity. So that's that was sort of the start of AGL. Uh, we were still called AGL Consulting at the time, but we felt consulting has a bad connotation. Well, and that, and, and that's what I was just going to say, Simon. It's like like any any Joe Schmo, and that this isn't meant to be a bad thing to you, but any Joe Schmo that gets out of a certain <laughs> spot, they're like they're in here doing their thing. Like, oh, screw it, I'm just going to start up a consultant firm and. Like truly, not many of them make it, and because they're they don't re- they just put consulting at the end of what they of uh, their name or their last name or or whatever focus they want to do, but they don't really have anything built behind it to actually support it, um, which is which is obviously a big difference between what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of uh, failed consulting uh, that you see. No, you I able- totally get it, John. I mean, you can tell if you fit. Basically, you failed yeah. your corporate career, so you end up as a consultant. I mean, that's in a nutshell what you're saying. <laughs> right. And uh, and I can tell you I did, I, that that did actually not happen to me at all. I just right. don't want to do – I just, you know, I, actually, to the title of your show today, I didn't want to deal with the corporate bullshit anymore. Right. Simple as that. And, you know, so for me, I was close to turn 50. I got a tremendous opportunity to run this project for a super large private equity firm, which – taught me a ton. I was I was on this mandate for five months. And then, you know, either I had the opportunity to become the CEO of this business, which didn't happen because we didn't acquire it. We Platinum Equity acquired it. And uh, and then I said, now I'll continue to do this. I had, and, and on the other side, you know, one thing um, that is, that I love about my job is that I can, I can leverage literally 30 years of experience as a CEO. Right. And this is not just consulting. I tell you how to do a better job. Mm-hmm. I have social competence. You know, I have emotional intelligence. Right. And and in most cases, my consulting mandates go in a totally different direction than what they mandated before. Because mm-hmm. I can read people. I can understand conflicts within businesses. I, I 
I can coach people. I can tell the owner, hey, you need to be careful here because you have just about some problem with certain people. So we, we have a total different way because I have 25 years of, of a CEO experience that I can bring as a consultant. So I'm not just an industry stupid expert that just thinks I know how vacation rental works. I can I have so many more facets. I can share stories with startups. I, you know, I've seen failures, I've seen successes. You know, I've been around for a while. Do you see my gray hair? My kids yeah, are always see. laughing about Don't, don't let the gray hairs fool you, man, because these have been <laughs> some of these have been around since I was in high school. Look, yeah, but again, and, and Simon, I, I think that's a great point, right? Like you know, the push for professionalism within the industry has been, you know, we hear it all the time, right? But who's pushing, right? Like who's pushing for that professionalism? What does it look like? Because for my short time within this industry, we, I've seen a lot of push and I've seen a lot of people, you know, who are, you know, experts or claim to be experts in this space and, and claim to be helping. And especially on the private equity side, who really didn't know shit about what we're what the short-term rental industry was doing and the deals that were done kind of show that right the, the past deals how is this going to look different moving forward right like i i i i have an idea but i i think you can actually speak to this better than anyone else like how are the deals smarter now than they were you know even two years ago three years ago in, in terms of what's going to come out of this um you know with the new age in which we're at the new you know kind of world we live in right and you know, a lot of money still being thrown around and, and, and lots of M&A deals still happening. What's going to make this any different? What's going to set these companies up for success where these, you know, private equity firms and others failed before? I don't think not a lot is going to change, to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. because fragmentation will not go away. Mm. Number one. Number two, number two, we, you know, one thing that has become very clear and very obvious that the investment world in the United States is looking at this industry a little bit different than in Europe because the valuations are totally out of, out of sync. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to go deeper there for the moment. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that. We'll keep that for, uh, for my interview with uh, Matt in, in San Antonio. So we can uh, already give a, a preview on that, but uh, I will have a conversation with Matt from Acosta, but also, and I hope to go and everything else, but let's summarize that for a second. And um, what have we seen? So we've seen the first and largest transaction ever in vacation rental was when HomeAway was sold to Expedia in 2015 for 3.9 billion. Okay, so that was for me sort of the starting point. Or actually, no, it was not. It was actually when when HomeAway raised 500 million from Technology Crossover Venture to to buy VRBO. That was right. the starting shot for vacation rental to come on the scene in the financial world. Everything before was considered secondhand car dealership and Tupperware parties, right? So, yep. so you know, this industry has has not been known as very professional and everything else. And, and it's been around for forever, even older than hotels. So we can be proud of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we haven't done a lot out of it because we, we don't own the asset and it's very hard to manage assets that you don't own, um, which will remain our biggest challenge for many, many, many years to come. So then we have seen a few other transactions. We've seen a heavy fundraise uh, by Vacasa. We've seen a Wyndham vacation rental that started to consolidate and then sold Wyndham vacation rental Europe for 1.3 billion in 2018, which was the second largest deal ever. And then Living Bridge sold Sykes Cottages for half a billion from one private equity to another. 
very successful, by the way, but it has its reasons because it's 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 a it's a domestic market. Hundred percent supply and demand from right. the same country is 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 pretty impressive and pretty protected. And Brexit came at the right time when nobody was allowed out the country. Right. So uh, <laughs> so, so that case definitely uh, was a, was a great one. And then we and now we recently, obviously, we've seen Airbnb IPO, which then broke any record. Um, which has put a lot more investment interest onto the onto the onto the market onto the industry. Uh, we've seen the SPAC with Vacasa 4.2 billion valuation. We saw Home to Go at 1.2 billion. And if that is justified valuation, we're not dwelling on that today. But I question a lot of that. And so, therefore, valuations. If you look at it, how big is Vacasa today worth 4.2 billion? And 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 a Novasol or Vindem Vacation Rental Europe had 100,000 units. Was highly highly profitable, and and was sold for 1.3 billion. So uh, you know, find the mistake here. Uh, I I don't understand it. So you know, in terms of where does this go, Matteo? To your question, um, first of all, you know, I think the, the investment industry has realized that the challenges we have in our industry are not going to go away far fast. What is that? That is that is uh, supply ownership. So supply ownership is private. And will remain private at large uh, going forward. You know, um, I say 95% of world supply, 98% of world supply is going to be in private hands and not institutional hands. Even that you're now seeing business models like Daydream Apartments from Iconic Capital, which is now called Central, or others who are now starting to own their assets, which is the aftermath of of the, of the master lease arbitrage right. bump off. Um, you know, we're seeing some changing business model. We see some. Some, some you call them uh, REITs mm-hmm. um, in terms of these real estate investment uh, Trust, yeah. uh, funds. Trust, yeah. they, they're going to happen, but are they going to happen at large? And is that really something, you know, I mean, while money is basically cheap, it's very, uh, it's, it's great to, to do something like that. But if interest rates are back at 5%, yeah, well, good luck to you to create a return on investor capital when you, when you then have, have higher interest rates instead of master leases. So I'm not sure if that at large can solve all the problems and the challenges we have in vacation rental. I'm not, I don't think there's going to be many massive deals going to happen, to be perfectly honest. It will be, you know, this is like a mushroom business. So when you cut a mushroom off, five new ones will grow. And right. and this is the beauty about it because people will start again, property management, they know a few people. You saw the churn rate that certain companies have. I mean, there's plenty of opportunities to pick up a new business. Now, the next one is Steve Milo. I wish him good luck. Congratulations to his 250 million. But, you know, but that is driving valuations to the roof. And and these smaller companies, they're expecting massive valuation. And I'm sure if this is really healthy and can you really create value for an investor if you pay these high multiples to buy vacation rental companies? And can you create that in more equity value as you roll it up? I think that's going to be very, very, very challenging. I put my card on the luxury rental. That's where the mm-hmm. where where the where we will see a lot of activity. But in the mass market of vacation rental, I don't think if that is so interesting for private equity, uh, if the, if it's not a, a large enough deal, because the large private equities they want to deploy half a half a billion and more in terms of acquisition, and look at how many deals are out there. Not many or none anymore, right? 
How are they looking at the path to profitability? Because I think that's one thing I, I think you point out. I don't want to just skate over that e- either, right? Because you're talking about the deal prior to the Casa and, and with that valuation, the difference in that delta in what they were valuated versus what Casa was valuated, right? At the end of the day, Sonny, like, you know, what are they, how, what is their timeline in terms of, are they even looking at path to profitability and what that window and, and counter line is? Because again, like, I don't see it and, and maybe I'm not in the room. Maybe I'm not around, but from my is, is, novice is analysis. Airbnb, yeah. Is Airbnb <laughs> profitable? <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not going to shake a stick at that one. We know the answer to that. And they don't care. It's in there. That's why they said it. They don't see, they, they're not playing a path, Right. So how do we determine value in that space? Like, where does that, you know, as someone that's looking at it from the outside in, you know, from our vantage point, you know, where is the value then? Like, you know, is it it just the marketing engine? Is it just keeping the ship running and floating? You know, at a certain point, you have to be able to make money, right? I mean, there is clear path for profitability. That's that's a clear strategy that Vacasa has and will need to have without Mm -hmm. a doubt. Vacasa is not a brand on the supply on the demand side. They they it's inexistent because everybody books through the OTA. So that's something that has been very dangerous in the United States. There's no brand value of whatsoever uh, of these companies because they're relying on third party channels and in, in, in relation to demand. So there needs to be a clear path of profitability, and that is unit economics, unit density in markets to have enough. Uh, you have a high enough unit density to so you're you're able to operate. Uh, profitable, that will mean that you clean up certain destinations where you don't reach a critical mass of supply. So in order to uh, scale uh, your your operating costs. So without a doubt, so there's many different drivers, obviously. Occupancy is one, revenue management and cost management is another, and then obviously have a good enough unit density in markets to push profitability. And and that ultimately, for a company like Wakasan or, or a classical operator in our business, Needs to happen, and this is something. This is why we at AGL put this conversation of APS out there into the world and said, "Hey, we need to start talking about the profitability and not the revenue." And this is something we're preaching and we're adamant about. And it's still, and, and we feel in a very good spot to do that because nobody else has picked that up and say, "Hey, you know, profitability comes before revenue." And and I think that's where a lot of the smaller ones can learn a lot. So it's not all about growth. It's actually about unit economics, understanding when does a a unit on a booking level create a positive contribution margin. And we need to talk about this far more than what we have until now, because otherwise we're building bubbles. And then you have you have the situations where people, uh, you know, don't do proper trust accounting, play with the cash of the guests and the owners, and then it gets super messy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many yeah. times have we seen it? You know, robbing people to pay Paul, right? Like, and again, everyone knows profitability is what like true profitability is what it makes a successful business. But if that's not built into the foundation of your business, I, you know, we saw the result of that over these past couple of years. How many house of cards have fallen, right? Who fell, who didn't, right? And who's here and, and who's able, either you were able to, you know, build another house of cards, get some more money and, and you're stabilizing, or you were able to, you know, at some point it has to stop being a hustle and really be a bottom line. You know, I think what you said, you know, a, a, a unit-based, you know, revenue model that is profitable, not kind of this, you know, hey, don't look over here, look over here type business 
that a lot of people have raised a lot of money on. Like, hey, this is isn't this a beautiful, it's a beautiful idea, it's a beautiful picture. Well, shit, how does it work at the right. end of the day? And I, I don't think that's been asked enough. So kudos to you for that, Simon, and kudos to driving that, because I think that's what's gonna solidify us in this space. Um, you know, especially in this ever-changing world of what of hospitality. Because, you know, that's my next question, because I know you also got experience in the hotel space. And we talked about who did well and who didn't last year. Where do hotels go from here? How do they play into this equation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, we have definitely our way we're thinking about it, our own thesis. You know, in 2008, we started to talk about convergence when the first large property management company, such as the one that I was running at the time, was integrating with Booking.com, and we helped the OTAs educate them about vacation rental where they only had hotel supply in the past. Mm-hmm. And then we started to talk about convergence because they were able to mix hotel and vacation rental supply to their customers uh, when they were booking, and they did an ex- excellent job at that. Uh, but then the consumer got educated, hey, there's other things than hotels. There's actually vacation rental. Uh, before, it was only a minority of people who, who used vacation rental always have and knew about it. And But the large majority who still booked hotels, they were not even aware of the category. And so the OTAs really helped to sort of tr- transport that message for us as an industry to the consumer say, hey, there's actually apartments and villas you can rent as well instead of hotels. They did that very smart, but they but they created a lot of dependencies. Um, but we won't go there. So hotels... Yeah. Um, have had, you know, hotels on the other hand have, especially in the U.S., have been able to create incredible brands like a Hilton and IHG and, and obviously a Marriott Group uh, have have created incredible consumer brands, which no one in our industry has even even close to. I mean, our brands in our industry are worth nothing because nobody knows them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they have been doing that. And it's interesting to see... <clears throat> that now we can really talk about convergence because <clears throat> hotels have understood this phenomenon called vacation rental is not going to go away. Number you could, one. You could, I'm sorry, I'll let you finish. Number two, it's uh, <clears throat> a lot of people want that product as well, and we need to be able to offer that. And number three, the result of it for me is a, is a mixture. So the convergence now is not happening on the demand side in terms of booking different type of hospitality products. The convergence is now finally happening on the product side. And now you're seeing companies like a Journey, like a Numa, which is formerly Cozy. We call that Hospitality 2.0. And Hospitality 2.0 on the supply side is a combination of hotel-like service and amenities and larger rooms and, and STR-like uh, accommodation. And I think that's something we will see. In, in, in Barcelona, like half of the three-star hotels are on sale right now. So they will, you know, wow. they have suffered tremendously. We, we clearly believe the business travel will not come back to its level ever before, in two, ever, ever again in 2019, ever. So things will change. Hotel supply will change. And we will see a lot more hotel groups sniffing around our industry and, and trying to, you know, see how can we convert our customer to that product, but how can we also control that product? So I think that's something we're definitely going to see. You can see that yeah. you can see that here in the U.S. for sure. Like these these loyalty brands that you mentioned, you talked about, in which you know the VR side for sure has not done a good job in building that brand recognition. 
you can see, you know, in the remodels and the new builds um, with, with hotels is they're building, they're essentially building SDRs in hotel, you know, remodeling all hotels to, to have maybe even a third of the amount of rooms in the hotel, but they're all set up like little miniature suites and they're built, you know, they're, they're taking the notes of what has been successful and they're building this pretty amazing hybrid model here. They're still offering certain amounts, but they'll have whole brands now that are just focused on that. And it's, it's pretty amazing to see the, to see the transition. And they have those clientele, the Marriott homes, of villas, they have all these, you know, the IHG that you've mentioned, it's pretty, pretty impressive, at least taking the notes and cues that they see and what they're doing with it. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I think they got a ways to go. It, 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 from my spot, I think it, it, it's interesting because I think if there is a company that can actually brand, you know, short-term rentals or alternative hospitality in a way like a W, like, you know, under a brand, or it, it, I think that's going to be something that we haven't seen. Like, we don't know what that really looks like. I think we know what it could be. I think we could say, hey, this is how it could work. I don't know who's going to do that. I don't know, you know, who's really going to take that on. And I think that's going to be interesting because some of you're right. There is no dominant brand within the space. Um, like, so Andrew from Reddit put it out last week. It was like, hey, Sonder and Vacasa. And my immediate thought was like, like, who's stronger? Who's the brand within this space? And I'm just like, it's got to be Vacasa, number one, because they, they have a path to profitability and they know what they're doing from the management side. And, and again, I don't know what their operation looks like now, but I know Sonder's operation was very much so, you know, heavy in certain areas where Vicasa was lighter. And they also play in different markets. Saunders not playing in Destin. Saunders not playing in traditional vacation rental markets. I mean, and where Vicasa's, you know, got strongholds, just as where, you know, the opposite side of that coin, Vicasa's not huge in a lot of the U.S. domestic markets, like big, bigger city markets. And so, you know, but which is more valuable, which is more profitable? And I think that's going to remain, I mean, again, I have my opinions on that, so I'm going to leave that there. But I, at the end of the day, I think we're going to see, but I think it begs the question, like, who's that brand going to be? I mean, is it going to be someone we know or is it going to be something someone new? No, I think it's going to be somebody new. And definitely not somebody we know. Because, you know, one of the things that everybody makes the same mistake, they don't, they don't accept facts of the market, um, the market environment, right? Or, the, the you know, the market particularities are not being yeah. accepted by the facts, and everybody has tried to 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 do it again and again, um, but not understanding what certain things you cannot change yeah. um, that you need to accept to build your business model around. One is the business is hyper local, so we all agree, but it's a fact, and you cannot break that. So if you if you don't have somebody on hand who knows the destination better than everybody else you're not going to succeed number 1 number 2 the the industry is built on trust and not on assets so the trust is our only asset that we have in vacation rental because at large 98% of our supply is secondary owned ownership and you know these people have worked their lives to build a second home and it's their castle. So that's not an easy rent, right? And that's what people underestimate. It's not a commodity for the individual homeowner. For an investor, rental contracts are a commodity. How many rentals do you have? What's your churn? What's right. your net churn? What's your gross churn? 
uh, how many how many new contracts are you going to sign in the next 12 months? But then when you go down on the level of actually sitting down with Mr. and Mrs. Smith at their dinner table to, to rent out their mansion to have in Florida for five years and the family for two million, that's a different conversation to be had and build that trust. So that is not going to go away. And then you have other challenges. It's individually owned. So that means setting standards is very difficult, uh, setting standards on how it's equipped, how it's furnished. The curtains are different in every house. The couch is different in every house. The kitchen is different in every house. That's what our guests love, but that's what we love about our industry. But we also would like to set some standards. But then the homeowner thinks, hey, my, my pink couch is very nice. Then you say, no, actually, a, a dark one would uh, would do better for our guests. You know, screw them. So this is a discussion we will have forever. And these particularities is something that we love about this industry. We're passionate about it. But to scale these three facts is very difficult. And this is we have seen with the churn rates of the acquisitions that have happened. And, you know, you lose local local heroes. You, lo- use local, you lose local brands where the owner is comfortable with his property manager that he used for the last 10 years. And if you break that, you can't scale. So the question is, there will be different models in 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 in, do, in, in actually getting these together. Uh, one of which is, is most probably going to be franchise, or you know, or hybrid. So I'm I'm saying what we need to do, while our RBOs, our rent by owners, get better and better educated by the day, we need to take a more hybrid approach to our industry. You know, when you go to an American supermarket, me as an European. And I go to the cereal aisle, I'm killed because I have a 600 different types I can choose from cereals, right? And that's a pain in the ass, but we're being educated as consumers to have choice. Now in vacation rental, it's the same thing. We want choice. So if a, if a, if a property manager comes and says, I need your contract exclusive and I want this and that, say, ho, 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 I have the same cleaning lady for the last 20 years, so forget about the cleaning. I'm going to do that. You can do the distribution. And if you then do a good job, I'll let you do the cash payments as well and this and that. So we need to be hybrid in the way we go after this market. We need to build solutions to serve our customers' needs. And I mean the owner, we need to build solutions that accommodate their needs to drive loyalty uh, to them. And loyalty is driven by occupancy and distribution, right? So I think Mm -hmm. these things we need to accept and then build our businesses exactly focused on on those market facts, call them. Uh, and then I think you can be very successful, but we need to be flexible. Now, the human being in his DNA of being flexible is not our strength, right? But on the other hand, we want choice. So again, <laughs> right. this, is, right. this is something we need to put together. Right. And and that's on the both the side of the property manager and the homeowners, you know, being flexible and for it to work. And I, I those are just absolutely excellent points. Simon, question for you, looking at, the models and looking forward. I don't know what that noise is. Um, hmm, maybe it's me looking at the models that we have going forward. What's going to fail? What, what business model that is, is moving now, like you or what brand, or you don't have to definitely go and say what brand, but you know, but what is not sustainable? What's not going to make it for the next five years? What we're, what are we going to see change? Business that is not profitable is, is going to fail in the long run. So I think it's not all it's not all growth. It's unit economics and it's profitability. I I totally believe in that. 
as soon as we see an economical downturn, everybody who goes for growth will be imploded immediately. And, and it will get worse because once we have a downturn, then you cannot sustain your business. So no matter which, which business, John, it's a great question. I wouldn't even pinpoint it in different models. We can talk master lease. We can, we can talk ownership. We can talk distribution only like an evolve. I think all of these have potential to fail, but also have potential to succeed. I think for me, maybe more because I'm European or I don't know, we, we deal with our cash a little bit more careful. And uh, in Europe, we only have one credit card instead of 50. Um, we, we ha- you know, this- I have two. <laughs> one, I have two, one for work and one for, one for personal. That's it. <laughs> Excellent. Sorry, I didn't want to stigmatize anybody. No, I mean, you know, money is money, right? And, and yeah. it depends what you do with it. And and I think to answer your question, yeah, I believe strongly. This, I think it's the, the model itself and how you want to run your growth strategy. How how much leverage are you? You know, you look at this master lease thing. Like before March 2020, it was the best. It was everything the best since sliced bread. Everybody was going after it. Have you seen how fast all of them? Unfortunately, who did a great job, like like a, like a Jordan from Stay Alfred right. and others. You know, passionate. You know, Joe and 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 Andrew from Wheelhouse, all passionate about their businesses, going out there saying, "Hey, we we bring a new new product out there." They got literally wiped out within twenty four hours because you know because the debt that they had on their balance sheet to finance masterpiece was not sustainable. Full stop. Right. So you, you you so your risk appetite. So I think the higher your risk appetite is as a business, no matter which model, the more risk you have to fail full stop and if especially where where we see where we're going to see economical downturn recessions and interest rates rising again at the moment money is cheap the government is pumping money in to keep the to keep the the economy alive that's dangerous that's dangerous and i think you know you need to be careful in building your business and, and think about how much can you leverage it how much debt can i carry if you know, if, if certain things go wrong. I'll give you a little example. If you want to buy a house in Switzerland for, for a mortgage, you need to be able to sustain a threshold of interest rate of 5% next to your income in, in, in relation to what you lend from the bank. So in, in Switzerland, you need about eight, you can, you can lend 80% of the value and 20% is, is down payment cash. And and you need, they need to show your salary, and if you can't maintain a five percent threshold, you're not going to get the mortgage. Now the actual interest rates are at one percent at the moment. Right. Right. Wow. So, wow. So you know we're paying one point one point two percent interest rate at the moment on our houses. Mm-hmm. It's nice. And you can imagine, yeah, it's beautiful. But actually, <laughs> to the bank, I need to show I can I can handle five before I'm I'm going bust. Right. So right. that's a that's a risk corridor of three point eight three point eight percent that I'm that I'm under leveraged to actually manage uh, my mortgage and that's a smart thing because my salary can go down my you know but the mark the value of my house can go down at the moment it's not it's going the other way but I think this is something we need to be mindful about. Well, and that's something that, you know, back in, you know, 08, 09 in the predatory lending and, you know, and that's where everyone got into, into trouble is that you're not keeping that threshold and, you know, and 
you know, just giving a loan to you know mortgage to absolutely anybody, then and everyone's buying way above their means. And we've had this conversation before, um, previously, you know, and you got to be able to sustain it, and and that makes a lot of sense. Well, and you also don't build a business that profits off of the failure of people, <laughs> right? I.e., subprime lending in subprime markets, right? That you know, contribute significantly, but we'll, we'll go down that road another time. One thing I want to bring up Simon, before, you know, before we get out of here too, is I think, you know, a huge part of what changes, you know, our industry is education. And I want you to talk about, you know, what you did in that space. Um, you, you know, what you created through your hotel school, because it, it's not just the tips and tricks of how to be a better hospitality provider. Right. It is how to be a better business owner within the hospitality space, within a specific hospitality space. And you brought some of the brightest minds together to create a platform that is hugely beneficial to anyone that chooses to come and, and, and educate themselves um, around this. And, and again, I think this is just the beginning. I think we're going to start seeing this blow up. It's going to be in schools, you know, as our industry continues to grow and, and, and I hate to continue to say professionalize, but to, to grow and mature, right? It, it just like other business, you know, uh, just verticals do. How, how did you get to this space? And, and what is your goal uh, with, with the hotel school that you have? I want to talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Thank you, because we need to talk about education. I, I can throw the question back at you. Uh, Mateo, have, have you ever used a Uber? I have. Have you asked the driver if you had a driver license ever? Uh, no, I trusted the app. <laughs> <laughs> I trusted the so app. there we go. The this, yeah, is, yeah. this is my answer. You know, at the end of the day, you, you literally you line someone's bed, but actually you have no clue if the guy knows what he's doing or not, right? So, yeah. and, you know, when you sit in a taxi, you presume the guy has a license, right? And he's sort of knows what the hell he's doing. Now, in our industry, we have absolutely no clue. And now we're letting people on Airbnb be, become hospitality experts, and we, we're doing a disaster for the guest experience. So I think, you know, you cannot learn this job of becoming a property management com uh, a company or a property manager or a host. And I think that's brutal and that's wrong. Uh, you, you know, you have the best hotel schools in the world, Cornell in New, in, in New York. You have, yes. you have hotel schools in Switzerland, the best in the world. Uh, but, you know, not, none of them have actually vacation rental on, or their, on their tutorial. So, yeah. you, you know, this is an industry by error because you have a place to rent. So hey, I'm, I'm, I'm start doing it, um, but we're still doing a crappy job. So we said we need professionalism. We need education. You know, in all the conversations that I have with all my great friends, like Dave Krauss from Rent Responsibly, yep. with the associations, everybody talks about education, but it's not. And I think it will become even a regulatory issue eventually where you need to yeah. show some, some sort of education of what you do. And then it goes into health and safety. It goes into many different areas that you can really be a professional host. And this is what we wanted to do. So we wanted to push the envelope of offering education, professional education done by the, you know, the brightest mind, subject matter expert of this industry. Like, you know, as Sarah Franzen did our distribution piece, uh, Susan Tormollen for X Homeaway Software did the marketing piece. Uh, we had... Um, Cliff Johnson and and uh, Michael Dritcher doing technology and data. I mean, we had the brightest minds in this industry to tell the world how it's being done. The you did you is, did a couple of of those too, by the way. 
you did mm-hmm. a couple, not just everyone else. Like, and and I, I want to say that I, I was, um, because I was on a shorty, I, I, w- I received the ability to go ahead and do one. And okay. my dumbass, I signed up, I started, and I, and I didn't realize I had such a short window and I was so busy with work that my time ran out. So I need to go back in and redo it. I was super excited to, to do the course, but I, uh, I got started and then I got busy with work. And unfortunately, I never finished the course. Boo. Which one did you do? One of yours. I can't remember. Um, it was I did one operations of, and and I did I did, I did strategy and uh, and revenue management. And so it was on. more. It was the more in depth one. We, we had talked about it briefly. Um, yeah. And I got it was amazing. It was super in depth, and I was like really loving it. And then I had to shelf it for a couple of weeks because I was super busy with work. And then when I went back, I'm like, oh shit, I don't even have any time to finish this. So, so we're in deep conversations here. with associations because we want the people to start adapting to it. But I can mm-hmm. trust me the following. You know, selling education is hard because people think the internet is for free. And that's a shame. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the quality differs massively, right? So we definitely need to have, uh, we need to do more work. We need to have the right stakeholders for education, but we're definitely working on that. We're, you know, we're going more off to corporates because what I believe, if I would run a property management company, I would make sure that every new hire will have to go through these 150 mini courses within the first year of them being employed. I mean, the problem is that the guy who does that knows 10 times more than the boss. So that's going to be a bit right. of a problem. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I mean, this is, this is something we can talk a lot about, but we're passionate and we all need to support education and vacation rental. It's just so important. Because, you know, one thing that we should never forget, we still only address about 40% of travelers. 60% have not yet chosen a vacation rental over a hotel, even though they want hotel-like amenities, they want hotel-like services, but they don't feel safe in our homes. How crazy is this? And, And so we still have a lot of work to do. And the more we educate and the more we professionalize, you know, so the addressable market is there to get people into our industry that have not yet rented. That's 60% of the travelers. It's massive. That's crazy. That's a huge number. That's absolutely (laughs) insane. I I wouldn't think it'd be so high. I I mean, but that's, um, you're the numbers guy. (laughs) Absolutely. It is huge. In certain markets where it's more traditional and older, like Europe, it might be 50 but not, not much below that. Mm, that's crazy. Hey, we, I, I know we're getting to the end here, uh, Simon. I know you, you have some other things, other engagements. Um, I want to make sure that we are going to go ahead and put the link on the website for both of your AJL, um, but also your hotel school um, for everyone to go ahead and check all that stuff. Is there anything, any last words of wisdom, anything you'd like to leave to our audience today? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I want to thank you, John and Matteo, for doing this and putting this together. Uh, it's great to to have this podcast and and, and also doing it in a different approach. Uh, but on top of that, I got my travel permit to get today to go to the United States. So actually, so actually, we can do uh, the BS talk at the bar in San Antonio, uh, yeah. which I'm extremely excited and I'm really looking forward to being in the United States. So that's great for the audience to know we will be there hopefully to catch up in person. And thank you guys so much for putting this together and. Uh, I wish everybody, um, you know, stay safe, stay healthy, and I uh, hope to see you all uh, very, very soon. Well, I'm excited to see you, man. It's been far too long. I'm looking forward to uh, having a drink with you uh, in person. 
uh, not just virtually. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if you wanted to plug. I know there's a lot of things going on and you're doing things with VRMA. If you want to talk about those things, because we're about to plug our, our VMA part. So if there's anybody, anything you want to put out there, feel free to say it. If not, got it. I mean, I have the honor and the pleasure to literally do all the fireside chats this year. So it's pretty much all the movers and shakers in our industry, which is Matt Owen from Wakasa. I've been able to uh, get uh, Carl Shepard, co-founder of Homeaway, motivated to drive from Austin to uh, San Antonio. And if yeah. all goes well, he has a special friend in his car as well, uh, which uh, would be would be tremendous. And then obviously I have the, uh, the honor to to interview Jenny uh, from uh, Marriott's Homes and Millers by Marriott International. And uh, and we have delegates, Jeff Hurst from uh, VRBO, which I'm really looking yeah. forward to every year and speaking to Jeff. So it's going to be absolutely awesome. I'm, I'm so excited to hear those. People, Carl, Jenny, yeah, that all good friends. So excited to see. And and you don't disappoint, Simon. Uh, you know, again, this is going to be, and, you know, again, we, we're open here. We love your your Red Shoes podcast. You know, that's the other thing that we've all missed is, is, is seeing the Red Shoes moving and shaking uh, and getting the Red Shoes podcast around. So, there you go. <laughs> and see, John, we need lots. So I know. now Definitely. I can finally yeah. pack my red shoes again. <laughs> right, right. Hey, Mateo, right. You, so, you notice he didn't he didn't want to sit down with us for a fireside chat though. Nah, man, we're young. We'll get there. Nah, no, we, we got we got some years. Yeah, we got it, yeah. we got a we got a ways to go. We're not going anywhere. We'll be <laughs> oh dang. Hey, for those yeah. that are listening and not watching on YouTube, um, Simon just showed his bare feet. Um so oh. no red shoes. No, no, no red, red shoes, shoes today. Uh, Hey, Mateo, before we get out of here, why don't you go ahead and, and quickly uh, push our VRMA stuff? Yeah. So for all of our uh, so thank you to everyone that tuned in. As usual, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button, hit like uh, for the episode and give us your feedback in the comments. You know, we love to hear you know, what you think about our guests uh, and who, Simon's definitely going to be coming back. So you know, we'll, we'll be bringing him back soon. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. But one um, push uh, VRMA. Uh, October 3rd, uh, if you're coming to our workshop, we're doing a DEI workshop on the 3rd, uh, prior to the conference starting. Uh, we have a fantastic speaker uh, who we'll be announcing next week, um, doing some DEI work with us. Uh, and then we're circling, John and I are circling back and hosting our panel, uh, DEI, Diversity and Inclusion, a year later, uh, with the original panel, uh, with a couple extra guests, going to be from the main stage. Um, and so we will be pushing out that schedule, letting everyone know when and where that will be and, and hope you will come join us for this discussion. It's going to be a great one, uh, kind of about the culture and, and where we are a year later uh, in the industry in terms of uh, DEI. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're super excited about it. You know, Teo and I are co-moderating it. We got a, a five person panel. Um, we're, we're super stoked. We, we can't wait to continue this conversation with you all. Yeah. Until next week, all. Later. Later.